resurrection, assembly of God. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Uh, Pastor, you'll need to remind us at the end about that as well, so that we don't forget um, in the meantime to do that. Uh, Pastor, would you also mind taking the uh, the offering off the table for us, since we'll need that space for communion here in a few minutes. Welcome back, Sister Fraley. It's nice to see you again. Sister Fraley's been in Chicago for a few months, and we always miss you when you're not around. Last week, Pastor Abby preached on the parable of the unforgiving servant. If you remember, she renamed the parable, which you're allowed to do if you're a pastor, because those little headings in the Bible aren't actually in the Bible. They were added later by people like you and me. So she renamed the parable in the process, and she called it something like the parable of the just king. Was that what it was? Yeah, okay. The just and merciful king, although God's justice is always merciful, and his mercy is always just. So you're just kind of repeating yourself there, but that's okay. Um, the reason she renamed it, though, is because in the parable, it's really about the king who forgives someone's debts. Uh, but the guy who got his debts forgiven then goes and he refuses to forgive his brother's debts. He puts his hands around his throat and starts shaking him. Pay me what you owe me. And then he throw, throws him in jail. This is uh, why, in part, we prayed about debts this morning because we want to put into prayer practice what we learn in the Bible, right? This week, I want to look at another parable. Oh, by the way, that king, he punishes the guy that he originally uh, forgave his debts uh, for. And uh, he ends up in prison where he wanted to throw his friend who owed him a lot less money. So this week, I want to look at another parable. It's going to be a, a parable about a vineyard and workers and the vineyard owner. And we find the vineyard owner doing something that might not make us as happy as what we heard about the king doing last week with his debtors. It might make us happy, it might make us a little unhappy. You know, it's, it's complicated, so we're going to get to it. But I think we're supposed to keep both of these parables in mind uh, together because they reveal God to us. And God always reveals himself in surprising ways. Um, and the reason God is always surprising is because he's not an idol. And idols are never surprising. God is always surprising. So I'm going to read the passage, and then I want to talk about it. It's in Matthew, so another reason to keep these parables together is because they show up in the same gospel together, and you know these gospels were written as books to be read uh, holistically. So it's in Matthew chapter 20, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. So 16 verses. Here we go. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. 
After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. But about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now those who were hired first came. When those hired first came, they thought, uh, excuse me, I've lost my place because this is far away. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have, paid the, you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I'm going to repeat that, last, that ending there again. The last will be first and the first will be last. That's how the parable ends. And that's the light in which we should read the whole thing. As we can all imagine, if we feel like we're on top of the world, if we feel like we're always winning, if we're smart, good workers, entrepreneurs maybe, financially or politically or financially and politically successful, this parable and the ending, that ending line in particular, probably seems a little bit frustrating. Is Jesus saying that all your hard work and ingenuity and smarts will still end up with you being in last place? On the other hand, if you feel like the underdog, Is that a term in Nigeria, by the way, underdog? Or is that just purely American? It's totally American. What would you say in Nigeria? In English in Nigeria, of course. The unlucky one. Okay. So if you feel like the unlucky one, this is probably pretty encouraging, right? Exciting, even. You can skip the line. The first will be last, and the last will be first. We are told that this is what the kingdom of God is like. So we, we just read it, but let me summarize it again, because I think it's important for this to settle in. So the owner of this estate has a vineyard, and he needs his grapes picked. Maybe he needs some other work to be done too, like, I don't know, tending the vines, pruning them, cleaning up the dead uh, branches or vines, whatever you want to call them. 
and so on. But the point is, he needs some seasonal work done. He needs seasonal workers. So uh, the owner, he goes out with his pickup truck. Okay, there's no pickup truck in the story, but we're using our imagination here, okay? Uh, he, he goes out with his pickup truck. He pulls up next to some guys smoking cigarettes on the side of the road. And he says, get in if you want to make a denarius today. I've got some grapes that need picking. So the guys jump into the bed of the pickup and head out, head out into the vineyard to work for that day's wages. The story continues. The owner goes out again. Why he goes out again, the Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, the story doesn't tell us. Jesus doesn't tell us. Did perhaps he see that the original group might not get all the work done? Or was he just running errands and he thought, why not get some more people working because, well, there's work to be done. Either way, it's interesting here that the owner, in the second instance where he rolls up to these other guys, uh, doesn't agree a wage with the next batch of workers. This sets up for the gotcha at the end, right? Rather, he just tells them that he'll pay them what they're worth at the end of the day. Maybe he wasn't even thinking about it. He was just like, yeah, I'll figure it out later. So this group, too, they just they flick off their cigarettes, jump into the truck bed to go back to the vineyard with the owner. He does this again and again and again in the story. So the, the, but the last time he goes out, it's the 11th hour. So one hour before the 12-hour shift is done. Vineyard, vineyard laborers evidently keep the same shift lengths that nurses and whirlpool uh, factory workers do, just in case you were wondering. It's what uh, sun up to sundown, basically, if you're near the equator. But this uh, last group, um, it seems like the owner is, is like he's confused. He says, why are you out here like standing idle all day? And was he like kind of asking like, are you guys lazy? He's suggesting, you know, you should be working, you know, he's just wondering what's going on. Who knows why he's really asking, but, you know, maybe these are the implications. But they tell him, well, you know, the only reason we're not working is because no one's asked us. So he suggests that they do at least some work for him and that they, uh, that they can do that work for him even in this 11th hour. I mean, um, so, so what do they do? They, they set down their half-drunk beers. It's almost 5 o'clock, right? And they jump into the drug bed and go off to work for one hour. Then the day ends. The payment is due. And this interesting thing that we've already read about happens where the owner pays the people who worked the least first. That's the first sense in which the first shall be last, right? And the last shall be first. And this situation, uh, th this creates a situation where everyone can see the wages of those who worked less than them. There's no uh, direct deposit in the ancient world, so everyone knows what everyone's getting. There's no envelopes with checks inside. It's cold, hard cash that you gotta hand to people. The people who started at 5 a.m. see what's going on and they're, you know, they're upset. They saw that the one-hour workers got what, what the, excuse me, they saw what the one-hour workers got and they assumed, well, even though we agreed to a denarius, surely we're going to get more than them because we worked a lot longer than they did, 12 times what they did. 
but they don't. So they say, hey, not fair to the vineyard owner. They grumble, as the Bible says. And the owner, the owner says to them, he says, actually, you agreed to the denarius, so a denarius is what you get. The owner says something really cheeky here, too. That's not much of an American term, actually, cheeky. We usually say tongue-in-cheek. Do they say cheeky in Nigeria? Like the Brits do? Oh, it's a very popular word in, in the UK. Um, you know, even in football, they call them a cheeky pass, you know? Anyways, uh, the owner says, he says to them, my money, my wages. He says, it's my money, I get to give it as wages in the amounts that I want to give it as wages. Um, take what's rightfully yours based on our actual agreement and move on, please. And he says, I was generous with you in the first place. What else did you expect with the guys who started working after you? Um, so this story, we can all understand it's probably a little upsetting, right? You can all imagine what it's like to be this guy, these guys that work 12 hours. Imagine if they did this at Procter & Gamble over here. I'm pretty sure that the people who had worked all day would, well, they would protest. And they would protest possibly by not even coming to work the next day. They would more than grumble, they would rebel. You could also consider those one-hour workers, what they're thinking in this moment, right? Or they're smiling ear to ear. How about this? This is more than we expected. Clearly, we're right to be happy too because the guys who worked much more than us in the scorching sun, the burden of the day, you know, they're, they're probably off trying to figure out, um, well, first of all, they're trying to get out of range of the 12-hour workers, right? Get out of range of their grumblings. <laughs> because, you know, one of the things that happens is that the working class sometimes turns against the working class when they feel like things aren't fair. It's truly unfortunate. Um, they might also, though, be scheming, trying to think about how they can hide the next day and find the owner just an hour before the end of tomorrow's shift to secure a similar outcome, right? If we're honest, maybe that'd be us. I don't know. But of course, the story, you know, isn't ultimately about workplaces and workers. It says at the beginning, in verse 1 of chapter 20, for the kingdom of heaven is like. This is about the kingdom of God. It's about the people of God. It's about Jesus' ministry. This is important, so pay attention to this. Jesus tells the story of a vineyard because Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, Israel, God's people, are routinely referred to as a vineyard. So you can imagine people who are hearing this story, they're like, oh, I see what he's doing here. He's really talking about Israel, but he's pretending like he's just talking about some guy and his quirky economics. God calls himself in the Old Testament the vineyard owner, the vineyard owner of Israel, the one who wants to see his people bear fruits. And this is why Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? 
So we can see that this story is actually about God raising up people for the evangelical harvest, for the labor it takes now that the kingdom is announced. I think we can also hear echoes of the Old Testament in the grumblings of those day laborers, the 12-hour workers, right? We read, about, we read this morning about the people of God grumbling after the Exodus. Remember that? Exodus chapter 16, we read it. They were saying that it wasn't fair that they used to eat meat pots in Egypt when they were 12-hour day laborers, when they were slaves there. And they grumbled against God and against Moses and Aaron because they didn't have food. What did God do? He gave them manna. He gave them quails from heaven to eat, food for which they did not labor. How about that? They didn't even have to work one hour. Or maybe they did because they had to go out and pick it up. So these are the one-hour laborers. They labored hard in Egypt. In the wilderness, they needed only to step outside and receive dinner. They needed only to gather. And everyone got what they needed regardless of what they deserved. So you see how Jesus is really, he's getting at people's goats. That's also another Americanism. But he's, uh, he's getting at people. He's saying, listen, consider the history of the people of God, and you're going to get upset about my parable? Well, get upset about your own history then. So like the vineyard workers who hardly worked, the people of Israel got a lot for very, very little. You can also see that this is about the people of God because of the number 12. Anytime the number 12 shows up in the Bible, your theological ears should be ringing. In the story right before the one that we, that we read, that we didn't read the story right beforehand, uh, Jesus is talking to a rich young man. And at the very end, he says, uh, he starts talking about uh, the Son of Man himself appointing uh, 12 judges to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So the number 12 is showing up all over uh, this part of Matthew. And he talks about people in the judgment receiving 100 times what they gave up to enter the kingdom of God. And he says there too, the first will be last and the last will be first. In our story, of course, there's the 12 hours which represent the announcement to all 12 tribes of Israel that the harvest is here. The kingdom of God is proclaimed. So you get it. This isn't just about your workplace, but we'll get that to that too. When, when we see all, that all of this is about the kingdom of God, I think, I think we wouldn't imagine the laborer's wages being anything different. When we see that this is all about the kingdom of God, we won't see the vineyard's owner's wages as being unf unfair anymore. At least I hope. God wants all his laborers to receive their reward simply by, by being faithful in what they've been given to do. And the reward will be the same for everyone because the reward is the fullness of the kingdom. The denarius is the kingdom of God. And whether you've been working 12 hours for the kingdom of God or one hour, your reward is the kingdom. And it's God's to give, no one else's. So let's not dispute it. I mean, think about how sad it would be if, if it were the other way. Imagine if you came to church this morning halfway through the church service 
And for those of you who came in late, we cut each cracker in half and emptied out half of the juice in the glass and said, you only get half of the Lord's Supper because you were late. It'd be pretty ridiculous, right? Or imagine <laughs> that when you came down to the altar, we said, we'll, we'll anoint you, but we're only going to anoint you with half the amount of oil as sister so-and-so. And we'll only pray half the time, and we'll only, we will only pray with half the fervor and half the faith. Because, you know, you came in late. You were half, you, the service was already halfway done when you walked in. Or worse yet, what if when we're praying over the Lord's Supper, I said as your pastor, may the merciful Father forgive only one-third of your sins because you came into the, because you came to the church two-thirds of the way into the church. I mean, come on. But this is what Jesus is trying to get at. You'd be like, what kind of nonsense church is this? We're only forgiving people of a couple of things. Not all of it. Doesn't Jesus take it all away? What we believe and do as Christians is really quite the opposite. And it's worth reflecting on this. Someone may be like a total reprobate, a horrible, neighbor-hating, greedy, murderous, lusty old person. He might be dying of some horrible disease getting fed through a tube. And he, might be, he, and he might, in that moment, confess his sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? We'll baptize him. Can you imagine us saying, again, this is the absurdist fun here, but uh, can you imagine us saying to that old man in his deathbed, sorry, bro, you can get most of your sins forgiven but not all of them because you waited until your death right before you're going to die to confess your sins. We'll baptize you, but we'll only baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, but not the Holy Spirit because you don't deserve the fullness of the triune God. Anathema. What an absurd thing to do. But it's also an absurd thing to believe, kind of. This is what we believe, though. We believe that you can confess your sins right before you die, you die and God forgives you. We believe that, and yet we also still feel for the guys in the parable who worked all 12 hours and only got what the one-hour laborers got. That's how Jesus gets you. It's interesting, isn't it? So let me say, I'm going to say three things in closing. First, I think we find, I think that we, we all find the logic of hour-to-wage proportion in the church repulsive. We find the idea that you can only have half your sins forgiven because you waited until the end of your life to confess them. We find that repulsive. But the logic of all that still creeps in. It still sneaks its way into our hearts, into our minds. It sneaks into the church and how we think about what it means to be the church, forgiveness, and the kingdom of God. We start thinking in hierarchies in the church. Who's important? 
and who isn't, who deserves what, and what it is that certain people don't deserve. We get tempted into saying absurd and ungodly things like, well, you know, Comey and Noel, they're deacons. They're like the right and left thumbs of the church, and you can't pick up a glass of water without your thumbs, right? Or it's more difficult to do. We wouldn't be able to do anything in the church without them. And then we think, but you know, Kyle Anderson and John Alitalo, they're more like the spleen and the appendix of the church. They're part of the body, but you know, we could do without them. The reason I included Kyle is because he recently had his appendix out. And here he is. He's still Kyle, even though he's less of a man than he used to be. <laughs> that came out wrong. <laughs> less. <laughs> They're part of the body, we think to ourselves, but we could do without them. So let's hear what the Spirit says, church, in all seriousness, because this is a funny way of putting it, but it's true. Spleens get the same wages as thumbs in the body of Christ. Everyone is important. And everyone will be first because everyone will be last. And everyone will be last because everyone will be first. Is the great equalizer the kingdom of God is. So let's remember, let's trust the Spirit to not let this logic of our to wage ratio creep into our understanding of what it means to be the church. It was also easy to suggest that we might think Kyle is expendable because he's entirely not, because he's installing our air conditioner for us amongst all the hundreds of thousands of things that he does for the church without ever asking for wages in return. Second, I want us to be, be to beware of calculating the cost. I mentioned earlier, I speculated, it's not in the Bible, I just speculated it might be there, you know, would, would the workers that only worked one hour try to scheme a way of doing the same thing the next day? Or better yet, because we know that the one-hour workers get the same wage as the 11-hour workers or the 12-hour workers, should we, you know, try to manipulate our circumstances to confess our sins on our deathbed so that, you know, we can murder and steal and be violent our whole lives and then get a clean slate right at the end. Of course, the answer is no. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. But let me tell you why, why I think the answer is no. Because you don't calculate in the kingdom of God. Once you start calculating, you start acting like the 12-hour workers. When you start doing the math, you know, you put yourself in a place to refuse the wage that is even offered to you at all. And so I believe that God is calling all of us not to calculate. Don't calculate at all. We don't do math in church. 
which is why we say two pennies is a lot. All that matters, we don't calculate, all that matters is that when Jesus rolls up in his F-150 with the extended bed, because, you know, Jesus always has as much room for people as possible. What matters is, is that when he rolls up, you jump in, you grab a seat. You don't know when he's going to pull up. You don't know what hour the Son of Man comes. And not only that, you don't calculate your wages. Remember, the owner of the vineyard only agreed a wage with the original guys, the first guys that he called. The rest, there was no discussion of wages, just, you know, I'll, I'll take care of you, don't worry about it. They just got in because they were invited to come work. So we should be like them. Don't scheme, don't calculate, you don't have enough information to do it anyway. Your life could be demanded of you this very night. All that matters is that you say to, say to Jesus, yes, and that you say it to him right now. We say it to him right now because whether you believe it or not, Jesus's F-150 is in the sanctuary even as we speak, and he's inviting us in to work in his vineyard. He'll give us our unfair wages, he'll forgive us of our sins, and not just a few of them, and then he'll even let us taste the wine. Third and finally, and Jesse, you can call the sheep. Third and finally, just because this parable is obviously about the kingdom of God, that doesn't mean it doesn't have uh, offer a critique of the way we think about wages and doing business in this world. Allison was praying about, oh, she's not here. I was pointing in the general direction where she sits. Allison prayed this morning about uh, the, the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. These things are still relevant for us now. Uh, so this stuff might still have something to say about businesses and wages. I mean, yeah, after all, the, isn't the kingdom of God supposed to show us how we ought to live our lives? It's not a far-off reality. It is in our midst. So how does this parable, how might this parable inform how we ought to live in those respects? Like I've said already, we have to be careful because it's not intended as a blueprint for how to run your business. It's, it's intended as a blueprint for the kingdom of God. But let's say this. I'll say this much. If you are an employer in this world, in other words, if, if you pay other people's wages, if you are an employer in this world, please remember that you are a laborer in God's vineyard. Don't grumble about it. And be generous for the sake of the kingdom of God. You will be last and you'll be first. If, on the other hand, you are an employee, that is, if you get your wages from someone else, Remember that God calls even you to generosity. Don't grumble about it. Labor for the sake of the kingdom of God. You will be first and you will be last. That's all I have to say about our world. Kids don't have to work at all for the kingdom of God. 
Here they come, ready to jump in the truck. We're going to approach the, uh, the table where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I want us to remember that we didn't labor for this fruit of the vine and work of human hands. But in it, God nevertheless gives us the wages of eternal life by giving us Jesus himself. So let's all thank him together for his 11th hour generosity to each and every one of us. Amen.